0: Welcome to the Simply Imperfect podcast. If you're on the hunt for perfection, you may want to keep looking because we are imperfection at its finest around here. However, if you're looking to have conversations covering the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between about life, you've come to the right place. We not only embrace life's imperfections around here, we celebrate them. So for those of you who've decided to join us on this journey, go grab yourself a beverage, sit down, settle in, and let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast guys. Today we are going to do an update episode and it is going to be a update to an episode I did back in December and I will post a link to that episode in the show notes because if you haven't listened to it please stop here and go on listen to that one because today we are going to do an update on Erica Jane and Tom Girardi. Now, if you don't know who Erica Jane is and you don't know who Tom Girardi is, a little bit of a backtrack, which I covered a little bit more in depth in the previous episode. But um, Erica Jane is a member of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and her husband, Tom Girardi, is a very well-known attorney in California. Tom made his name doing a lot of, like, class action tort cases. Um, If you've seen the movie Aaron Brockovich, his firm actually is featured in that story. He set a whole bunch of records for receiving some of the first mega settlements when it comes to um, class action lawsuits. But recently, he has made the news for some not-so-great things. And I went into a deeper dive of this in the first episode, so I'm not going to do it in this episode because I want to update you guys on the stuff that's been going on since then, and there's a lot. Okay, I'm going to try to do this in as much order as possible, but there is a lot to cover. So since then... Tom has been, Tom and the law firm, Girardi Keyes, has been forced into bankruptcy. And um, in December, he, his, Both his and the firm's assets were frozen. Then Robert Keese, who is the Keese in the Girardi and Keese law firm, he is no longer a working attorney. Um, He was previously part of the firm, but has since retired. He filed suit in regards to the property and then unpaid amounts, which seemed to be some kind of retirement agreement of some sort. And I don't know if it was to buy him out, and that's why his name was still part of the Girardian Keys. or if it was to continue using his name. I'm not exactly sure what the terms were, but the firm was supposed to be paying Robert Keys so much a month, and they hadn't been doing that. In addition to that firm, there were were owners of the property that the firm um, was located at. So Tom and some other owners own the property. I don't know if they invested or exactly what the terms of that was, but they have filed um, a lawsuit claiming that Tom portrayed to them that the property was unaccumbered, which so there was no liens, nothing like that. However, it has come to light that there are liens against both Tom's personal property and the business property. One of these liens is a lien that was placed or attached to the business property in regards to a judgment that some clients had received that had gone unpaid. And it was to the tune of $5.8 million. Now, this gets kind of crazy because there's a lot of really large numbers that are talked about when it talks about judgments and settlements and liens because in addition to that $5.8 million lien, there is a $7.5 million number that is owed to a KCC Class Action Services. So Tom was using KCC Class Action Services as a backer for lack of a better phrase, of his contingency cases. And so contingency cases are cases where um, clients agree that the firm won't charge them like a month, like they won't bill them monthly. They'll just keep track of like all of the costs and the fees and the billable hours, all of that stuff. They'll keep track of that. And then at the end of the case, if the client receives a settlement, the Attorney will take that settlement, and they will take the like costs and fees, so printing costs, expert witness costs, court filing costs, that kind of thing. They'll take that out of the case, and then they'll take a certain percentage out of um, the settlement, and then the rest is the clients. But here's the thing about a contingency case. If an attorney takes a case on contingency, and they don't get some kind of settlement in the end, the attorney doesn't get anything. So while when looking at some contingency cases, it may seem like the attorney is getting a large fee, they are also taking a large risk. So what KCC Services does is they lend or they lended Tom an amount of money to cover the costs of the litigation, and then he was supposed to pay KCC Services back when he received a settlement. So this is where some conspiracy theories are coming out to play because Tom signed a personal guarantee guaranteeing to KCC Services that he would pay them back. Well, in the documents that KCC Services has provided, there are also two documents that were allegedly signed by Erica. These are documents signed by Erica in 2019, one in September, one in October, and what they are saying is that specific businesses. Um, the one in September says California Lending Inc. has first lien on any assets owned by Tom. Also, the one from October says that any obligation of the estate, personal assets, all of that is waived until Cancel council financial is paid in full. The interesting thing about all of this is the documentation brought forth for Tom is notarized. The documentation from Erica is not. Also, the signatures on the two documents are very different. And because the signatures are different, there are people who have dug into the older episodes of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. In a previous episode, Erica sends Lisa a note when somebody in Lisa's family passes away. And so they're taking screenshots of that note that was shown in the episode and comparing the signatures. I will link all of this in the show notes so you can take a look yourself. I do have to say that the signature on Lisa's card does look more like the September signature than it does the October signature, But I don't know exactly what that means. And so with question in the signatures and no notary, a lot of people are using the fact that these letters exist that are allegedly signed by Erica as proof that she knew something was going on. But there are now people alleging, and of course none of this so far is alleged in court, we don't know what Erica's going to say about these letters, but there are people speculating that maybe Erica didn't sign those letters. I am not. But there are people out there who are speculating that. And and there's more. So let's get back to the timeline. So December 16th of 2020, Erica is seen online taking a video of her closet. And in what looks like to be a collaboration with a, I believe it's a French company called Vestaire, she is selling items in her closet. That action then brings her before the court for contempt of court because there is a freeze on Tom's assets, which means there's a freeze on Erica's assets because of joint community property. As time goes on, more and more accusations of misconduct on Tom's part keep coming. And there are allegations that Tom settled cases without um, client approval. There is allegations that Tom's um, daughter and Erica were receiving settlements pay- payments directly from settlements. And then as this all of snowballing and all this information comes out, in January, Tom's brother files for conservatorship, over Tom. Tom's brother goes as far in the conservatorship to ask for permission to place his brother, Tom, in a facility that treats neural cognitive disorders, including dementia. He says that Tom has, his condition has deteriorated so much that he can't even take care of himself without assistance. However, there are other documents that say Tom is living in the house, that he's living there alone with some minor assistance, Which just seems like, okay, is he so bad that he needs to go into a facility or is he okay that he's managing at the house by himself with a little bit of assistance? But on top of all of this, the state bar eventually comes out and says and objects to the conservatorship because there are people who are coming out and they're like, wait, hold on a second. We were just in negotiations with this man not too long ago, and he seems fine, and the state bar is like, we don't want you to put him in a conservatorship because we want to be able to get our hands on him because we want to punish him for his bad acts, which is anybody with me thinking, a uh, state bar, it's a little too late, you know, the JoJo song? My running question in all of this is, how did these things go unreported to the state bar? Or what shady crap was going on behind the scenes that Tom was able to continue to practice law because Tom's license until recently when you looked it up on the state bar said nothing about any kind of corrective action. All it said was that his license was active and when he was accepted into the bar. Now, however, it says that he's not eligible to practice law in California, that there are disciplinary charges filed in with the State Bar Courts, that his license has been ordered inactive. But like I said, it's like that, it's a little too late song, where it's like, he has now taken advantage of how many people, for how many millions of dollars, when how the heck did the State Bar never get noticed of anything? While I guess it's potentially possible, anything's possible, I just, in my opinion, it seems questionable. So now the state bar shown showing up in the conservatorship saying, hey, we don't think he needs a conservative and we want to punish him. Well, now state bar, you got to get to the back of the line because you've had how many years to deal with this crap and you're just now doing it. And there are people ahead of you who want their money that is lawfully theirs. So back of the line. So continuing on in the timeline, Tom's creditors have forced Tom and the business into bankruptcy. And in the bankruptcy, one of the things they're doing is selling the home. And in selling the home, they had reached a proposed settlement agreement with the Rui Gomez family. And the Rui Gomez family had received a settlement, and Tom had convinced them to allow Tom to manage the money and send them a monthly payment. After a while, the family asked for all of the money, which was about just under $12 million, and imagine that. Tom never paid him out, so they obtained a judgment. Now, the Rui Gomez family had reached a proposed settlement with the bankruptcy trustee in where the house in Pasadena that you see on the Real Housewives, the house would be sold. And the proceeds from that sale, they would first pay off, like the costs associated with selling the house, lien senior to the Rui Gomez lien, and then whatever was left, 20% would go to the trustee for other outstanding debts, and then 80% would go to the Rui Gomez to pay towards their judgment. Now, when that came in the light, Erica and Tom's ex-wife both filed objections to that. Now, this one I only kind of understand. Um, If you want a deeper dive into it, I know there are attorneys who have done deeper briefs on it, but the ex-wife files trying to establish her claim because Tom was supposed to be paying her a monthly amount that he hadn't been paying. In addition to that, Erica filed. In California law, there is some objection that Erica can file because she is married to him, she is domiciled in the house, and it's to the tune of something like $600,000 that she can object to, and Erica has now object to that which it's a double-edged sword because it just looks bad because people are already questioning if she was in on all of this. And then on top of that, she's going to file an objection to paying off clients who Tom owed. And at the same time, it's her legal right to have this objection. It's it's out there for her. She just has to claim it. Well, at least that's my understanding. I could be wrong. And it just bad PR, but at the same time, on the chance, which there are plenty of people out there that that do not believe there is a chance at all that she didn't know, but on the chance that she didn't know, she also is a victim in this. And so it's this like double-edged sword, but pat, bad PR looking, I don't know, guys. It just, I don't know about anybody else, but it just didn't sit right with me, even if legally she has the right to do it. And the snowball just keeps rolling. His son-in-law, who was a previous partner at the Girardi-Keith law firm, who has since left and went to a new firm and has now left that firm once all the publicity of all this came up. Like, to the point, if you even go try to find him on the website, they've just, like, scrubbed any. Any evidence of him, but he has filed claiming $150,000 of unpaid legal fees. An organization called CAALA previously awarded Tom with the Hall of Fame award, and they have stripped him of the award, rightfully so. And now the hits are starting to come Erica's way. Because recently, the bankruptcy trustee now wants to file claims against Erica for the gifts that were the joint property that she has in her possession. And Erica's statement on it is, it was all gifts. It wasn't joint property. It was stuff that he gave me. And if you watch The Real Housewives, the stuff Tom gave her was insane. There is a panther ring that she gets, which I believe she says is the second one she has. And it is worth like something like $78,000 in one ring. There's also a Chagall painting, which I know nothing about paintings. But doing um, a little bit of research, it says a Chagall, and I hope I'm saying that right, um, at auction, can sell for up to $32 million. Which we now know why the trustee wants access to these items that were gifted to Erica because $32 million would pay for a lot of these liens or settlements or judgments that are outstanding that have been filed against Tom. So I've attempted to gather a list of all of the outstanding settlements, uh, lawsuits, liens, anything I was able to find that might be included in this bankruptcy. And I'm not saying it's everything, but here's some of what I was able to find. So as we talked about in the very first episode, there is a Lion Air crash, which was a plane crash, and that settlement is unpaid. California attorney lending is is owed $6.2 million. Stillwell Madison is owed $5 million in defaulted loan payments. Three former clients who obtained a settlement against Pacific Gas and Electric after a 2010 gas pipeline explosion has obtained a $10 million judgment. A former client has sued for the remainder of her $500,000 settlement, and she has only received $50,000, about $50,000 in payment. Um... There is a Sean I'm not even going to try to say his last name of the Bedford Law Group who has sued for unpaid fees. Philip Sheldon of the law offices of Philip Sheldon has sued for four point eight million dollars in unpaid fees. like we discussed earlier, KCC has seven point five million dollar judgment. Wells Fargo Vendor Financial Services has a- over eight hundred and eighty thousand dollars in unpaid office equipment. Veritex has um, $550,000 in unpaid court reporting fees. CSI Group has over $53,000 in unpaid fees um, regarding home security. A former client has unpaid amounts associated with her one po- over $1.2 million settlement. And you know, like I said before, I don't even know if this is everything. I know these are pieces to the puzzle, but I don't know if this is everything or if there's a bigger picture of how much he's owed. The headache that is ahead of this bankruptcy trustee to try to figure this all out and figure out where the money is going to come to pay for it, where the, I mean, the biggest question is where did it all go? How are you getting percentages of multiple million dollar judgments i even think there was a billion dollar judgment how how do you get percentages of that and then be broke i mean not not just be broke but not even pay your clients the amount that's due to them which is a fraction of the total settlement it just blows my mind. And what is even harder in all of this is when you when you really break down how sad it is about the settlements. So, yeah, you know what does it suck that that a that a business isn't getting paid? Yeah, it's wrong. But when you think about and you break down what these clients went through, they were victims of something. You know the Lion Air crash, the clients that he had in that were the family members of people who died in a plane crash. The clients that I mentioned who won a settlement against the $10 million settlement against Pacific Gas and Electric in 2010, they had suffered, and, and I don't know if they specifically suffered, or if family members suffered through a gas pipeline explosion. These are people who have gone through horrific experiences and they go to someone who is promising to make them as whole as possible through the legal system. And and money doesn't fix em- everything. I get that. And it doesn't bring your loved one back. It doesn't fix injuries that you've had, but at least it's something to help, to help you. And then that attorney who's saying, come to me, I will help you, victimizes them again. And then the salt in the wound of all of this is there are these clients who could be sitting at home watching Erica on TV talk about how much money they have, watch him by that painting, watch him by the um, ring, Talking her talking about how even though she claims that The business of Erica Jane is paying for it, but she sits and she talks about how the glam and the upkeep of Erica Jane, the performer, is $40,000 a month and how they have two planes and this, that, and the other thing, and they're sitting at home going, well, I can't even get your husband to pay my settlement. The money that was awarded to me, to me, and the question then is the reason those clients weren't being paid because they were using that money to fund their lifestyle. And then think about it, how insanely out of your means do you have to be living if a percentage of that much money isn't enough to keep you inside your means? Because not only were they spending, I mean, were they spending his money he rightfully got, but then he's allegedly spending the money that should have been paid to his clients because he it it was spent it's gone now whether it's hidden in what offshore ca- accounts or whatever that we'll never know but it's not like it's sitting in a bank account here they disclosed the beginning of his financials and it's not just sitting in a bank account don't get me wrong, I hope that that trustee starts digging and he just finds this magical bank account where all of this money is sitting. Well, we know that isn't real life. And the sad reality is in the four months that this case originally came to the forefront, it's steadily been releasing more disturbingly sad information about how many people were lied to and extorted from. It just keeps coming. And you're sitting here looking at the people that were around him and you're constantly, at least I'm constantly wondering, are you another victim or did you know? Because people who have worked at the firm have come out and said that Tom was very controlling when it came to the finances. And he was the one that had The access to the bank accounts. However, it has since been proven that there were other attorneys who were on the accounts, but whether, but it sounds like Tom didn't, even though they technically had access, it sounds like Tom didn't really allow them access. And so it's, it seems to me to be one of those moments where it's like, if anybody would have stood up along the way, how many people could have been saved? And the moral to the story is, if it's not your money, don't touch it. I mean, it's simple. If it's not yours, don't touch it, don't spend it. And I'm sure this case will continue to go on and they will continue to dig and there'll be more information. But as of right now, I think I've shared everything that I know. I will link show notes down below where the articles that I have read, the YouTube videos that I watched, there is a attorney who is on Twitter that shares the legal documents, which is a lot of the places where I got the legal documents to look at. I will link all of that in the show notes, and I will also keep an eye on any future information like it's released if there needs to be a part three, and in the meantime, I guess we can all collectively hope that somehow these victims are as made as whole as possible. Until next time, guys. thank you for joining us on this episode of the simply imperfect podcast if you've enjoyed and don't want to miss an episode make sure to subscribe if you'd like to help the podcast out make sure to leave us a rating and review while you're at it to keep up to date with all things simply imperfect and to join our mailing list head on over to at simply.imperfect on instagram and until next time folks make sure to embrace this simple imperfection that we call life